What's up, guys? This is Danny Langloss, and you're listening to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Please hit that subscribe button so you never miss another episode. Consider giving us a rating or review so we can keep growing and help more people. Thank you. There are so many things that impact our ability to achieve success, but none are more important than leadership. Individuals and organizations rise and fall with leadership. We are here to help you rise. Thank you for joining us. This is the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Hello, leaders, and welcome to Leadership Excellence. My name is Danny Langloss, and today I'm joined by Sajel Thacker. Today, we're going to talk about one of my passions. I've got a ton of different passions, but social justice, and specifically within that, gender equality and gender equality in the workplace is a passion of mine. And for some time, I've been looking for an expert in the field to talk about this topic and to bring it to life and to bring it to life from, from a positive, from, from an, from a solution side to acknowledge, you know, the strides we've made, uh, but also to acknowledge how far we have yet to go and, and what the job is of leaders, regardless if you're a male or a female or you're black, white, Hispanic, what, what's the role of leaders in, in making sure we're creating great work cultures where there is true equality. So Sagel's the founder and chief civility officer of train extra, this is a proactive training practice where she brings her wealth of employment law uh, expertise and customized training to executives, managers, and non-managers in an interactive, engaging environment. Such an important thing to be able to bring it to life in that kind of an environment. As she grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, she fought hatred and discrimination on a regular basis. She refused to allow ignorance and sensitivity and the bullying conduct of others to really impact her inner ninja. Uh, you'll hear as, as she talks today, she is, she is one strong woman and, and a champion for so many different things. So she has over 15 years of employment law experience and she advise, advises clients, human resource personnel, legal counsel. And I think a lot of her experience is off, you know, revolves around um, representing companies. So Sejal, welcome to the Leadership Excellence Podcast. Thank you, Danny. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm super grateful to be here. Well, I'm so excited to be talking with an expert like yourself about a topic, like I said, I'm so passionate about, to be coming at it from a positive lens and a positive angle about how can we make a difference and, and a greater impact as leaders. We know from all the research out there that uh, the most diverse teams perform the best and the most talented people out there, the people that everybody's competing to recruit are really drawn to diverse teams. So could you start by sharing your passion for this area and, and kind of what brought you this way on your journey? Absolutely. You know, I, as you mentioned, I represented leaders. I was a defense attorney. So the cases that I really worked on were harassment, discrimination cases, a lot of retaliation too. And so as I was representing leaders, you know, I was working with, and I, and I worked with, you know, all industries and I saw just a lot of what I say is, you know, uncivil behavior in the workplace. And a lot of which could have been avoided where had it been dealt with proactively early on when it was happening for like, let's say somebody made a rude or insensitive comment, had it been dealt with, then we would have never ended up in court. And so I saw a lot of that going on and I have a strong passion for diversity and inclusion. You know, I've always been a social justice advocate. Uh, I've personally, like you said, experienced um, you know, inappropriate behavior, bullying behavior, discrimination firsthand. So that drives a lot of the work that I do right now. And I, I come at it from a civility standpoint, because 
you know, I think diversity and inclusion is very important for all organizations. And I really don't think that, you know, you can um, skirt around it anymore. I think these issues have to be dealt with. But the, the sort of the my approach on it is dealing with the behaviors. And so again, helping organizations see that they're when you put different people together, we look at life differently. Our perceptions are different from each other. And so we're going to need some skills. We're going to need some tools to help us navigate through the challenges that those differences are going to, you know, come up. It's just normal. They're going to come up. It's like a family, right? You get a family together for a holiday, you know that there's going to be some level of conflict or misunderstanding or something. So people need some skills. And so that's, that's really what drives the work that I'm doing right now. Such incredible work. I appreciate that. Earlier this week, uh, and, and I've, I've been touching on this quite a bit in different presentations, talking about why we lead directly translates into how we lead. And so the reasons why we do things uh, within our workplace and within our culture matter, right? It, it, we, could, we could do something and, and address the topic of gender equality, of diversity and of inclusion, of harassment in the workplace, um, both sexual and non-sexual, and do it from checking a box for the reason of protecting ourselves legally. Because there's, there's quite a bit uh, of, of legal ramifications. But what I challenge leaders to do is, is to set that aside and not let that be the motivation. To, to the motivation, the why here is because everybody on our team is a human being. Everybody is a human being. And the right thing to do is to treat everybody with civility. The, the right thing to, to do is to include not just the majority groups, but the minority groups. Um, and, and so to be guided by, by a principle of diversity, of acceptance, of non-judgment, of inclusion, right? Then we don't ever have to worry about the, the legalities of things down the road. Are, are you following me with that? Oh my God. You know what? You said it better than I ever could, Danny. Seriously, that's exactly it. And, and again, you know, like I said, we've all gone through different experiences. So you want that kind of diversity at your organizations, right? Because maybe at a time, not having diversity in your organization, you know, not having gender equality, not making sure everybody's voices are heard at all of the decision tables, it actually hurts you not help you. It doesn't help you because your customers are diverse, especially if you want to scale and you want to survive, right? So there's the business case for diversity was made a long time ago. You know, McKinsey and company came out with a couple of reports years ago that really spells that out about why diversity is a must. It's not a nice to have, right? Um, but going back to just being able to get along, it's about, you know, creating an environment of psychological safety. So that, you know, if you say something to me, whether you mean to hurt my feelings or not, whether you intend to harm me or not, whether you know that you're making me feel uncomfortable or not, there needs to be a way for me to be able to communicate that to you in a way, in a respectful way, in a professional way, so that it's not about judgment. It's not about shaming Danny. It's not about making him feel guilty. It's to educate him, let him know, make him aware that this is crossing one of my boundaries so that he knows now. And so if he truly didn't know, he does now. And then hopefully, like most people and research supports this, 
most people are going to stop, right? Because we're not walking around trying to make people uncomfortable at work or make them feel bad. I mean, there are some people, but we're not worrying about those rotten apples. We can't fix everybody. I'm worried about the majority of people are well-intentioned people that are going to work to be successful. And if they can be successful, the organization can be successful. It's a win-win situation. Yeah, it's a win-win situation. Absolutely. And, and when you do things intentionally, as you're talking about, and the ability to have high levels of psychological safety, proactive communication, an environment where people feel comfortable coming and, and say that maybe they, they feel like they've been treated wrong or mistreated or they have a concern, that's good for the organization. And it, so if you create that around you know, gender equality and bias, um, that's going to translate into all areas and aspects of your organization and make you much more likely to create an organization where people serve in under the idea of truth, justice, and purpose. I had a great conversation with Ron Carucci recently, and there are four components that, that lead to these types of organizations that, that cumulatively make you 16 times less likely to be like the, what your worst headline would be on the front page of a, of a news article or on national television. Um, and that justice and accountability, are we treating people fairly? Are we honoring what it is they bring? Are we creating that environment? It's, it's a big, big deal. So the first thing I think we need to, to tackle is unconscious bias, because a lot of times we do things as individuals and we don't realize that we're bringing any bias in. We're not intentionally bringing a bias in, but when it's pointed out or when we think about it or we understand unconscious bias, we can identify bias as we do bring them and then we can neutralize them. So what is unconscious bias and how does it impact our actions on a day-to-day basis? So unconscious bias is, is normal. It's just the way that our mind is functioning. It's, you know, we all have different lived experiences. And so when you go through things, like if you think about your brain, like a computer system, right? Like a database, you're putting information in there. Your brain is taking all of that information and it's like sorting it out into buckets into your mind. Right. And so when in the future, when you see something, you know, your brain, it engages in this complex pattern recognition and it's going to make this association with that prior memory or emotion or feeling or belief that you have that relates to what you're seeing now. So it's these automatic associations that you make, they happen in the blink of an eye. They happen so quickly that you don't even realize you're not conscious. That's why they're unconscious beliefs that you hold. And these are based on everything, you know, what social media, the experiences you've had, the upbringing, the religion. I mean, basically what makes you, you, it's a part of who you are. And so, you know, Harvard came out with this study where they said, look, your brain processes close to 11 million bits of information, pieces of information per second through your five senses. I mean, so you're, how much of that, Danny, do you think is actually consciously processed? For me, a fraction. <laughs> Give me a, take a guess. Oh, uh, of 11 million bits of information per second? Per second. Probably, probably like one or two things? 50. 50 things, okay. Out of 11 million. So here we are thinking we're walking around making deliberate, intentional, conscious choices when the truth is, you're walking around on autopilot all day and that's fine, right? Like when you're brushing your teeth, right? And you're tying your shoelaces, you're combing your hair. Like we don't, we can't think about all those decisions. It would, I mean, we'd, it'd be overwhelming, right? So it's good that our brain has that capacity to engage in that pattern recognition and we need it. 
But, you know, it's, it's that sense that you get when you walk into a place that you've never been before. And all of a sudden, you get this feeling that you're in danger. You don't know where it's coming from, but you feel like something's about to happen. You know that feeling? I mean, I've, I've had that feeling many times yeah, in my absolutely. life, right? And so that's an example of these unconscious biases that we have. The problem, though, is, is when, it, when we look at if we just focus in on at the workplace or anywhere, is that we, it creates these internalized expectations for every situation, every person. And so when people don't match up to what you think is what you believe is true, then you're going to have a hard time as a leader seeing other people's talents, motivations, potentials, which means that you're going to have difficulty interacting with them or use, getting everybody to their full potential. And so it gives some people advantages. It gives other people disadvantages, right? And so we want to be able to recognize what these are. So then we can make sure that on a daily, on a daily basis, when you're, when you're making decisions that matter, you know, the important decisions, like they're going to have impact on other people's lives when they're important decisions that you're aware of what your unconscious beliefs are or biases are so that you can make sure you do what you can to minimize them. So it's not about like fixing you or anything. It's just realizing what you're working with so that you can put strategies in place to address them. So how do you start to uncover what your unconscious biases are? Yeah. So there's, you know, there are simple tools that can help you do that. So for example, the implicit association test, um, it's an online tool, it's free, and it was put together by Harvard University, you know, University of Washington, University of Virginia. They all put together, they came up with this test and basically it's divided. I think last time I checked, it was over 20 different categories, right? So race, religion, gender, national origin, a whole bunch of 22 different categories. And you sit down, it's, I think it's been taken over, taken by 10 million people already. And, you know, of course, it, and, and you sit down and it, it just, all it does is it helps you identify areas of potential bias, potential unconscious beliefs you might have so that you can then do something about it. And that doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, it doesn't, and actually a lot of the times what your unconscious biases are, here's the, here's the kicker. They're actually the opposite of what your conscious beliefs are. Hmm. Majority of the times, it's because your memory or your experience is linked back to something way back when, and you've evolved consciously, but unconsciously, that memory is still there and it's being, it's coming out. So as you do this work, the good news is, is you start to recognize, you know, what your biases are, you know, pretty quickly so that you can mitigate the risk. Another thing you can do, so the implicit association test is a great way to get you started. And here's a really easy one that everybody can do. Like right, right after we get off this podcast, right after they stop listening to this amazing podcast we're going to have, right? <laughs> I mean, you can just ask somebody that you trust and love because here's the thing about unconscious bias. They're unconscious to us. They come out in our actions, in our behaviors, in our words, the tone of our voice, the look on our face, the choice of behaviors. They come out to, and people around us know. So I just caution you, just be careful for the answer you're going to get, right? Because right. you'll find out. You need to get your armor down for that one because if they <laughs> if they sense what they're telling you isn't going over very well, they're going to be quiet and they're going to shut up. The So I think about so unconscious bias. And then I think the other thing that, that ties into this, and I don't think we've talked about this yet, is confirmation bias. So we have the, which I think also can be unconscious and part of unconscious bias, um, but a lot of times if we see a person or a group of people in a certain way, 
the things they do that discount that it's that way, we don't even process, but the things that they do that justify or go with what our beliefs are, or what our brain sees and, and puts into it. So, so confirmation bias, is that part of unconscious bias? Yeah, so it's a type. So there's, you know, there's social biases, there are cognitive biases, there are institutional biases, right? So what you just described, confirmation bias, is a type of cognitive bias that we all have. There's an over, science has identified, you know, a lot has happened too over the last decade, you know, last two, you know, couple, 20, 30 years, a lot of research has been done in this area, but they've, they've identified over 180 different types of cognitive bias. What you just identified was one, and I'm sure we all do. I mean, for, for sure we all do that, right? Like another yeah. really, another one that we all do is affinity bias, right? So somebody looks like us, talks like us, acts like us, reminds us of us, we're going to have a natural affinity to them, right? And that's normal. We all do that. You know, that's why like a baby, you know, when they see a stranger, they freak out, right? Because they're like, ah, I don't know this person. That's an example of affinity bias. It's normal. But yeah. you can see how that also could be harmful in the workplace, too. You no. hire somebody because they look like you. You fire somebody because they don't look like you. You don't give somebody a promotion. You know, like you're not going to give somebody an opportunity to be heard because of your they're not a part of your affinity. So it's about education on all of these. Like I said, 180. So if somebody were to stand up and say, I don't have bias. And I'm like, you're a liar and you don't know what you're talking about. Let's set up a time to chat. I'm happy to educate you on all right. of this stuff. Right. Because. So, yeah. so I think that's the big thing. And that's why we really, as we talked about this, this conversation um, and, and coming at, you know, how do we, how do we achieve gender equality? And, and I think this ties into other social justice issues and racial equality um, and, and many other things, but it's, it's beginning by knowing that it's unconscious. There's an unconscious bias and there's many things within that, you know, you talked about social, cognitive, institutional. And so it's, it's not that, so I feel like when this discussion happens, and especially for people in the majority group, they feel like they're, you know, being attacked or they've done something wrong and, mm -hmm. and maybe they haven't, maybe they're as passionate about you as I, you and I are about social justice, but it's, so it's giving it a deeper understanding from a positive side. So that's one thing that people can do. I mean, we, we could talk for hours about unconscious bias and all these different areas, which, which we don't have time for, but we thought it was important to bring up as a very important part to open up, to identify, to understand, to embrace as we look to, to truly create this, this equality. So let's transition. Um, there's, there's so much, if we can, do you agree with this statement? There's a lot of pros, progress that's been made specifically over the last decade in gender equality in the workplace. Absolutely. Where do you where do you see the greatest progress that's been made, or can you just reflect on what you've seen, and can we talk about and you know maybe celebrate that progress before we transition and talk about you know what what do we what do we got left to do here? Yeah, no, we 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 absolutely made a, a, you know um, huge milestones. You know, look, August eighteenth marked the hundred year anniversary of when women got the right to vote, right? A hundred years ago, so we've achieved um, huge gender equality milestones. So, you know, one of the major things that comes to mind is you know, we don't have a shortage of qualified women. I mean, education has opened up significantly. So there used to be a huge pipeline problem about we don't have qualified women. Now, a majority of the women that come out of universities are, you know, they are coming out at an equal level to men. So at all levels and all professional degrees. So that's a huge change. So we have no scarcity issue. 
there like we used to have. So that's a big one. And then the, the, the other thing that is too, is the internet, right? So we've, you know, we've, I think they said something like up to 4 billion new users have started using the internet over the last decade, right? So having access to be able to communicate with other people has been a huge milestone because, you know, the Me Too movement, the Time's Up movement, you know, these people went public with these, um, which with their claims, a lot of which were true, right? And it provided an opportunity for people who were survivors of sexual harassment, assault, or bias, and it gave them a place and a platform where they can voice, you know, voice their issues. So that, I mean, the the Me Too movement is another huge accomplishment. I mean, in California, after the Me Too movement happened, you know, that's that's where I'm licensed, but. We saw a boatload of laws come out of the Me Too movement. You know, it where it, be, it became, it started to become clear. You know, one of the one of the um, ones that come to the top to the mind is the use of non-disclosure agreements, right? So you hear something like Harvey Weinstein, and you're like, how the heck did he get away with this for that long, right? Because they were basically getting everybody to sign these non-disclosure agreements. And it would silence the people that had gone through it as long as they signed that document. And they couldn't even talk about the facts of those situations. Whereas he got to continue doing what he was doing and he didn't have to go through any public scrutiny for all those years until the very end. Right. So this was a really huge move in California in a positive way, because now you can't do that anymore. Um, Another thing is, another law that was passed in California was too that, and, and some of the other states have followed suit. You know, we tend to kind of be the leaders in this area, especially with workplace issues, but they, they in, extended the statute of limitations period. So it used to be, you had a year to file with our state agency. If you felt that somebody was harassing you or discriminating against you and they extended to three years. So this means that it could be up to four years till we end up in court. I mean, this is a huge motivator for employers to make sure they're doing it right, right? Because people leave, people's memories change. And so it's harder to litigate these cases. And who wants to wait around for that long to be able to defend a claim, right? Um, So we also got our training laws changed. They said, they went from saying, well, you only got to train your supervisors on sexual harassment to you got to train everybody. Right. Every single employee gets to be trained now. So that was a huge plus that came out of it. And we've even had laws that have uh, said on your boards, like if you're a publicly traded company, then you have to have a certain amount. You know, I think it was last year or this year. It's like you have to have one female director by the end of next year. You have to have two female directors, depending on the size of your board. So all of these things have been examples of the progress that we've made over the last decade. So when we talk about the progress that's been made over the past decade, the 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 laws and, and some of the movements that you've spoken about, they're man, they're they're so important, right? Because they set the framework that that this needs to happen, this has to happen. Mm-hmm. One of the things is, is is I've been looking through and doing some research is that there there is good news as it relates to women and in supervisory and leadership roles. Um, we're seeing you know, improvement, not enough, but, you know, significant improvement of women holding C-suite roles. We're still seeing uh, a very small percent of women actually holding the CEO role. So what have you seen out there in in the workforce? Are are you, are you, is what you're seeing um, reflecting what some of those numbers are that we're starting to see more and more women in senior leadership roles within, within different organizations? 
You know, I, I can't speak for right now. I mean, so, you know, I think it was in 2015 and I could be wrong on the date. So don't quote me on that. But um, they said that when they looked at C, you know, fortune 500, they said there was about 5% of women in the C-suite. That was, I think, 2015 or 2016. But I can't talk about right now because right now we're dealing with COVID. And COVID, I mean, lots of people, you know, it's hit women, one of the hardest. Um, And so you've got like, you know, I think they were saying like 4 million or 4 billion women were threatening to leave the workforce. And so um, this is going to really be harmful. And, and actually I just posted about some um, the new McKinsey report um, that actually you shared with me, the, the uh, McKinsey report that came out in 2020 about women in the workforce. And they talk about all the different reasons why women are leaving right now, which is going to have a significant impact on the female senior leaders Right. So it's something that I think companies really need to take seriously and think about how are they going to create an environment where women don't leave because it could be detrimental. Yeah. With, with all the progress made, some of the research I'd looked at in one of those articles that I'd shared uh, said they'd seen. So the 2020 report had seen a 24 increase in women uh, holding C-suite positions, which is we're heading in the right direction. What you're talking about is one of those threats to it. And as we progress through, uh, you know, women face, you know, much greater challenges yeah. from from COVID, and 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 actually, black women uh, face even greater challenges. And so, I've got a guest coming up who I'm going to talk about this issue with, specifically related to to African American women. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, so it's it's one of the things, and I think one of the things that I want to drive home for the listeners, um, because again, the 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 more we have people's guards down and their minds open and the importance and, and the why, um, the, the more likely they are to embrace these things. They're recognizing the unconscious bias and the confirmation bias. You know, the, the recognition, hey, a, a lot of work's been done. There's been some incredible frameworks put in place from a legality side, right? Um, but I do challenge people not to step into this realm and create diverse and inclusive and cultures and, and environments and to implement these kinds of training strictly to not be sued, right? I mean, we don't, nobody wants to be sued, but if we do it from a perspective that, that we want to create this respectful, inclusive environment where we truly value human beings and we want to give each and every one of the human beings on our team uh, the ability to, to serve, the ability to be coached, mentored, to have training opportunities, to have job assignments, and to help them reach their full potential, and to be intentional about letting... Uh, letting people know who might be in marginalized populations that know you do have a chance to, to reach your full potential as anybody else does in this organization. And when the culture aligns to that, you no longer really have to worry about the legalities of it because you'll handle the issues that arise because the culture, the culture doesn't stand for it. Right. Exactly. And the, and the more that leaders can do, and I think you mentioned this earlier, but I just to add on to what you're just saying, the more that you can do to create an environment that's welcoming, right, so that people actually come to you with these issues and concerns, if they're having a hard time with homeschooling, and they need flexibility, if they're, you know, somebody in their family has COVID, and they're stressed out about coming, I mean, you just have to be more flexible in your approach, because you'd rather have people come talk to you than just leave. And that's the threat that we're dealing with. And the other thing is that, you know, the reality is, is that 
lots of people don't go to their employers because they don't feel safe to be able to do that. So the more that you can do, it's not only going to mention the bad behaviors that are going on, but it's going to allow you an opportunity to be proactive so that you can save your talent before it walks out the door. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so if you want to talk about, you know, what are some, what are some reasons like, like we talked about, like the, the research, there's a ton of research out there that shows that more diverse teams uh, perform better. And so, you know, one of the things in the research talked about company profits and share performance can be close to 50% higher when women are equally represented at, at the top levels of leadership. So the research says that at least half of the leadership team or half of the team that you're putting in place, because it also has to do with performance of teams, not even leadership. If half of your team is represented by women, that these teams are outperforming other teams by more than 50%. The, the research doesn't show that when you get beyond the 50% representation that the performance increases or decreases. Um, but that's a pretty powerful thing, right? Like th this is solid scientific research that that's been done. Um, and I think it's powerful for us to realize is we're trying to create, you know, the best organizations we can. Absolutely. I mean, and, and, and even the science also shows that, look, there are biological differences in the way that men and women think like there's that's no question. So if you want to make balanced decisions, right, you want to make informed decisions and you want to have both perspectives, it makes sense that you want to have representation that are going to, you know, women and men so that you can make sure you carefully analyze these situations and that you've considered all the different actions. Research also shows that men tend to be driven more driven to action while women tend to be a little bit more conservative in the action that they take. So that could be beneficial. Again, it's all about making sure that when we're making these decisions, we're basing it on the objective facts and on the different perspectives that are available because then you're going to make a better decision, right? hundred percent, hundred percent. And this is the other thing too, you know, d diversity as we think about it, doesn't just mean male or female doesn't mean, you know, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, it's diversity and experience, right? It's having younger people and older people, different backgrounds, different mm -hmm. ways of looking at things and thinking of things. Because if we walk into a room and everybody, you know, thinks the same, that team is never going to compete with the diverse team. And I think just saying that out loud drives home, you know, why that's so important. And, and, and now today with the research that people are keeping up at all, it's something that, that we know that we know to be true. So there's still gaps though, right? There's still gaps. And one of the gaps I mentioned is at the CEO level, still major gaps there um, as we work towards gender equality in the workplace. The other area that, that women appear to be even more underrepresented and there's, there's less movement as at the first line supervisor, like the first promotion. Um, that, that seems to be an area where we're not seeing as big of an increase in, in bridging that gap. Any comments you want to make on that before we transition into kind of COVID and, and what are some of the extra strains and what do we need to do to make sure we keep these incredible women in the workforce? Yeah, I mean, the only thing I'll add to that is you're right. That is a significant barrier is that promotion piece. And again, uh, you know, crystal clear, there's plenty of research to support this, that as, you know, black women and women of color are even, the numbers get even, you know, significantly less in those areas. Right. So just something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. And and I was surprised to see um, still how, how incredible and maybe not totally surprised, but the, the numbers between women in general and black women 
they're they're staggering. And like I said, we're going to take that on in another episode. I've got a great guest lined up to talk about that. But I was just really, really surprised. So let's talk about COVID and the threat of COVID. So we've made all this progress. It's taken a long time to make this progress. We've made a ton of progress in the last 10 years, but we're in jeopardy of having major setbacks that are that are very concerning, especially when you look at how much better diverse teams, teams with, you know, made up of 50% women uh, perform and outperform teams that don't. Um, so what are some of the things we need to be conscious of and we need to do to, to keep women in the workforce? And I guess maybe lay out why just, I think it's kind of obvious, but why is it that this is creating the issue that women are having to leave the workforce or step away from leadership positions? Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the reasons is, is that women are, they make up a majority of sort of the essential frontline jobs, right? So when you're talking about healthcare, social work, community-based service sectors, government, women are the majority of the people that are working in there. So, you know, for, for government, 73% of the jobs are held by women, healthcare workers, 76%, and social workers, 78%, right? So these are the people that are considered essential workers. Um, and so they're, they're getting hit really hard with that. But also when you think about it, also in service occupations, right? Um, women are more likely to work in things like domestic uh, restaurants, retails, tourism, hospitality. All of these require face-to-face um, interactions, right? And so that's where all the layoffs have been hitting. And for a lot of these people or a lot of these women, um, teleworking is just not an option. In those in those fields, so this is going to hit them really hard. Um, the you know the other part of it too is you know I mean we made some strides in working on discrimination, but you know there's still a lot of sexual discrimination that's going on. So if you're deciding I'm going to lay off 300 people, who knows if they're going to choose the people that are females versus males? So that's another place where there's going to be impact to women. You know that's going to happen. And then I think a, a lot of things too is right. I mean, who's going to take care of the housekeeping, the homeschooling, the sort of tasks that typically, you know, typically are, you know, you know, doing from home. I mean, I know so many um, senior level women that have actually left their positions because it was just too much for them to be able to do it all. You know, it was, they were just like constantly feeling like, you know, just like it said in that report, always on, you know, so I've had people, I know people that have gone through that. So we really, I mean, and this is why I shared that report literally this morning. There's things that can be done by employers proactively to address these issues before we end up in that situation where we're going to take a lot of steps back in this area. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And in COVID especially, because I think you're seeing changes and in, in changes, especially in, in younger families, but we're, we're still at a point where in a lot of families, the, the wife is the primary caregiver. And, and, and a lot of times you see if, if one person has to stay home or leave a job, um, a lot of times you see that being, being the woman. So how the, one of the questions becomes, how can we accommodate? Like, how can we go and accommodate and not just for women, for, for men as well. Right. Um, but, but how can we accommodate that to make sure we're keeping, uh, these people, these valuable members of our team and leadership positions, on the team. And I know there were six key things that, that were laid out uh, for companies to focus on. And you've talked about it a little bit because you get your homeschooling, you got daycare issues and problems, you know, one, like make the work sustainable. Like during COVID, we have to realign our expectations. We have to have realistic expectations. We have to reassess deadlines. Um, we, we've got to understand 
that that there's different illness and things from COVID, different taking care of family members, those kinds of things, um, especially in homes where you know maybe there's a divorce that's happened. So you've got a separated home. Um, so, so we got to try to make the work more sustainable. Uh, there was talk about resetting the norms around flexibility at the end of the day. And, and, and there's a lot of research now about remote work where people are getting so much more done in, in a less amount of time. And how can we, how can we be flexible? Um, you know, when we take steps to minimize that gender bias, um, you know, reduce some of those assumptions. I think that there's that extra pressure out there. And and I've had a lot of different female leaders talk about it. Like they feel like they've got to work twice as hard or three times as hard. And if they're not the first ones there, the last to leave, it's looked at differently. So of some of those things I'm talking about, why don't you bounce in there and talk about some other things or maybe go into a little more on what I've, what I've shared so far. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I constantly, and, and, you know, when I'm consulting with my clients is look, I mean, if you can avoid layoffs and furloughs, you know, I mean, try to do everything else and exhaust all other options besides doing that, right? Because there is a lot of fear, um, especially by women of color and black females that they're going to get laid off. And there's, you know, so if you can put that, make that the last thing I say, you know, if you're allowed to put some policies in place, you know, that can help ease the employee's financial stress, Right. So maybe you strengthen the leave policies that you have. Right. Maybe you offer paid leave. Um, maybe you offer time off. And so what you can in any way to ease the employee's financial stress. And I think another thing is, too, is, you know, look at your performance criteria review, you know, your performance review criteria. I mean, this, this is creating a lot of challenges for a lot of people. And I think, again, going back to be flexible and reasonable in your approach. Also, you know, look at accommodations. You know, I mean, look at accommodations differently. Get out of that mindset of this is how we used to do it. We're not there anymore. We're in a whole different situation. You have to reevaluate. So if your mind starts thinking, well, this is how I've done it in the past, get rid of that and start all over again. you got to look at it case by case, figure out the person's situation and, and really exercise empathy and compassion when you're dealing with people, because we might be going through a pandemic together, but what each and every single one of us is going through in our homes is completely different. And so your approach has to be case by case and it has to be reasonable, you know? And so I would say those things. And then the other thing I would say is, look, there are definitely, um, you know, besides just balancing sort of the work and family responsibilities, I think that you can't forget about the fact that just because people are not in the office, right, we're on the computer, that culture is doesn't become a back, doesn't take the back seat. Keep your culture as a priority, right? So cyberbullying has increased tenfold since we've had everybody working from home. So, you know, I've had this conversation with leaders where they've said, oh, well, we're not physically in front of each other. So there's no issues. And I'm like, wrong. (laughs) You can't assume that you have to, you have to make sure. And so go back and check your policies on that to see, has it been revised since COVID? Because, you know, a lot of the policies I've been looking at, you know, they've got like maybe two sentences in there talking about, uh, um, harassment that might happen online, but that's not enough anymore. We got to explain, you know, what we mean by cyberbullying and the policy, give very specific examples, because again, women and other marginalized groups are the ones that are having to deal with this. So you, you need to make a policy around it, communicate it, educate everybody on it. So people know what to look out for. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the policies and stuff there, you got to get those right. But 
but the way we implement them is is so so important right the the proactive communication the coaching the mentoring the 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 intentional messaging that happens the clear expectations that reinforce cultures of inclusion those are so important because i've seen a lot of companies say you'll get their policies right their policies are mm-hmm. stacked but sure. you know they put them out and like initial that you read this you know what i mean and i i do think you know and i might be in in the minority on this we, we got to have incredible policy that that's important. It's, it's, it's big to protect from liability. It's important to set clear expectations, but how we communicate that, you know, we have to find positive ways to talk about these issues. So we put people's guard down and Brene Brown would talk about bring their armor down um, to have it fully embraced and supported. Right. And so that's really important. The buy-in to it is, is very important. And if we have people resistant to it, we got to deal with that. But the way we roll these things out, is also important. And it can't be something that we sign off on once a year in a policy update. It has to be something that's in our culture and that we see and feel each and every day. Proactive communication, I believe, is a leader's greatest tool, uh, one of the greatest tools at least. And, and, and especially now as people are disconnected, we've got to communicate, communicate, communicate. So as we look at COVID and we, we look at not just, not just women, but men um, as well, uh, everybody, it's tough, right? Like everybody's going through it. We were just talking before we're coming on this podcast. I'm going to take a little trip, finally get away. Um, it's tough on stuff on all of us. You know, you need to get that. You need to recharge and you just don't ever get to get away when you and your family are locked up in the house. Like we, like we have been. So this, this proactive communication is key thinking about how do we support people's mental health? Right. And this is something across the board for, for both, but Good EPA, good EAP programs, employee assistance programs are so essential and, and just really making people feel supported. If as leaders, if, you know, I know, um, and we've been incredibly flexible, but if we had uh, any of our employees, but, but especially female, our female employees in leadership positions come and talk about the idea that they're thinking about stepping away or reducing their role, we need to hit the pause button and say, hey, look, we're here to support you. We've got your back. You're in this position for a reason. You're valuable. What is it that we need to do to make this work? And and I think that that becomes super, super important. I think it's important for all of our people, um, but, but I think it's especially important in this as we face that great threat. Yeah. And I'll just, the only thing I'm going to add to what you just said is that, you know, with same thing, like you said, with the policy, with ERGs, right? Employees need to understand that they have an ERG, first of all, what, and make those, you know, make sure there's awareness about the ERG and what it offers. Cause a lot of times employees don't even know, you know, that it's available or what it, what it is. So you want to open up the lines of communication. And I, and I also think another really good, um, and as you were talking, this just kind of like popped into my head is really, and I'm going to start saying this more, but I, I think it's important to, to encourage senior leadership to really start mentoring and even sponsoring people within the organization. You know, I think there's like this huge rush right now where people are just kind of looking out. Okay. Who do we bring in to help us? Who do we bring in to do this? And it's like, look inside and build your talent that you already have. You know, that's such something that we can do and it helps the people that are already in the organization. And it's something as simple as ask them, Ask them, what is it that they, you know, figure out what your employees want to do, what motivates them. And it's, it's okay. You know, I think we get too stuck in, we put people in a position and then they're like married to it. They don't have to be married to it. You know, you can move people around and, and people might say, you know what, I want to do more of this now. 
but work with what you have because we've pigeonholed people, you know, and people have other skills and other talents. Tap into that if you can, if you have the flexibility to be able to do that. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're talking with Sajel Thacker and having a great conversation about, about gender equality, specifically in the workplace. Um, you know, the, the, the first and foremost thing we got to do is really understand unconscious bias, understand what our unconscious biases are, understand confirmation bias and, and some of the other things, the social biases we have. We've got to be intentional about creating a culture. We've got to have those policies in place. We do have to understand what the law is around it, but doing it for the right reason instead of the reason to protect ourselves is such an important thing that all human beings deserve to be treated fairly right? They deserve to be treated uh, with dignity. They deserve to have the same opportunity. Um, and in creating environments like this uh, and continuing to move forward and the credible progress has been made and, and continuing on is such an important, important thing. You know, one last thing I want to touch on before we close up and maybe get a call to action is as we're in the middle of COVID and, and, and this relates to, to all of our people, uh, strengthening that employee communication. When employees get surprised by decision-making at work, they're three times more likely to be unhappy with their job. Um, if, they, if they don't feel like it's fair and just, they're, they're three and a half more times likely to engage in unethical behavior and not act with the, behind the purpose of truth, justice, and purpose. Uh, and we need to be sharing more regular updates, starting with why. Be inclusive in decision-making. Understand what's happening, boots on the ground. Understand the challenges that are faced by our team members. And specifically in this area, because the research is showing it, like we're in jeopardy of losing a lot of ground in this area of gender equality in the workplace and really equal, you know, toward, towards an equal representation um, because of COVID. Because, you know, women in the workforce are disproportionately impacted by COVID and all the things that happen with that. As we, as we wrap up here, Sejal, uh, do you have a call to action or, or something that, that you want to wrap up with? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would just tell leaders, look, you know, this is a challenging time, right? And and I say, you know, there is lots of negativity out there. There's, you know, you might we you might have the best intentions and then people are saying you're not doing enough. You know, don't worry about the critics, you know, don't worry about those cynics. I mean, just keep moving in that direction. Take steps and start with yourself. We need the leaders to start with themselves by looking inwards and figuring out, you know, who they are, what their blind spots are, but then also empower your team to do the same. Make sure they feel supported. Make sure that it's a priority. You know, it's like you can't fix a problem until you identify it. And so take the time to ask them and ask, you know, empower them to do the work so that they do the inner work. And then we can really make the culture stronger, diverse, inclusive, and hopefully where people feel like they can bring their authentic selves to work. Yeah. Amazing. Great way to bring this to a close. Uh, we look at modern leadership and the concept and idea of leading the whole person. People want to feel safe. They want to be able to come to work. They don't want to come to work and be somebody at work and that's different than, than who they are away from work. They want to be able to bring their whole selves to work. So, so many important, important things. Sajel, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this important topic and, and enlightening us and, and, and opening our eyes and our minds to, to continue on some incredible strides that have been made, you know, especially over this last decade. 
Oh, well, thank you for having me and, and keep up the amazing work. You know, I've, I've listened to many of your podcasts now and I just, I love the conversations you're doing. You're addressing issues head on and this is what we need to do. We need to raise awareness of these issues in an authentic way to encourage leaders to keep doing, you know, to, to adapt. I think that's what we're doing is we're trying to say we need to adapt to where we are right now. So keep up the good work. No, thank you. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed the episode today, um, you know, consider hitting the subscribe button, leave a rating or a review. It helps us reach more people organically. If you want to know more about Sage and the work she's doing, that's going to be linked within the, the podcast notes. And, you know, there, there's so much work she's doing. This idea and concept of civilian workplace, we'll probably come back around and talk to her about that specifically. Like I said, today's episode is something that is just so, so important. It's important to say, Jill, it's one of my passions. When I look at my passions and around social justice, protecting children, helping people with, with mental illness or substance use disorder, you know, leadership, because I think leadership is what's going to solve all of these things. I just, it's just such an honor to have Sajel here with us, you know, talking and taking a deep dive into this gender equality in the workplace. The good news is we've made a lot of progress. The bad news is COVID has really created a big threat to that progress. And, and the other opportunity is we've still got a ways to go. We shouldn't rest on anything that's happened. And we're seeing incredible incredible results from this progress. The idea the idea that women who are represented by 50% of the team are in leadership roles um, outperform other teams by 50%. We're talking about profits. We're talking about productivity. We're talking about innovation. We're talking about creativity. So many reasons. So again, to the listeners, thank you for joining us today. And remember, always be committed to excellence.